it's almost like people are saying there's only so many spots for women in this industry. And so you need to be the best or you need to be like in some way better than the other girl in that other band. And I think I was very sensitive to that when we first started and it was kind of debilitating. And now I just know that it's nonsense. And so I don't pay attention to that at all and really do try to cultivate relationships with other female artists and other females that are in bands. That was Kaneen Pipkin of The Lone Bellow. And this is Shiros, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, She Rose Radio. She Rose is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss the challenges and triumphs how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music a better space for everyone. Over the last couple of years of interviews I've done for Shiro's, there's just a handful that focus in on a band member, not the front person. It's so interesting to put a spotlight on someone not usually given one, especially when that person is such an integral part of the band's sound and songwriting, and that someone is a woman. The Lone Bellow is a trio that was formed about a decade ago in Brooklyn with singer-songwriter Zach Williams, singer and guitarist Brian Elmquist, and singer and multi-instrumentalist Kaneen Pipkin. Their acclaimed self-titled debut arrived in 2013, followed quickly by their Americana Award-nominated 2014 album, Then Came the Morning, produced by Aaron Dessner of The National, who would return as their producer on their fourth album, 2020's Half Moon Light, the follow-up to their Dave Cobb-produced third record, Walk Into a Storm, which coincided with the band's relocation to Nashville. Throughout the Lone Bellows career, Kaneen has been their vocalist, co-writer and composer, mandolin player, bassist and keyboardist, and now, as the Lone Bellow return with their fifth effort and first self-produced album, Love Songs for Losers, she adds another title to her resume, Vocal Producer. I'm so thrilled to welcome Kaneen Pipkin as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Kaneen Pipkin, welcome to Shiro's Radio. It's so great to see you. I know. How's it going? It's going good. I'm so excited to have you here. I've never gotten to interview just you. Yeah, it's weird. I don't ever get to be interviewed by myself and feels unnatural to talk about me. <laughs> when was the last time you did an interview on your own? Oh, my goodness. I honestly cannot remember. I think I've done like maybe a couple, maybe. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm so inarticulate and boring. That is not true. <laughs> I know that to not be true. Congratulations <laughs> on the new album. Thanks. Thanks. Proud of it. <laughs> Tell me everything about Love Songs for Losers, Kaneen. Oh, man. So it was the first time we didn't have a big name that we brought in to produce it. And we produced it ourselves along with a friend of ours that lives in Nashville, Jacob Suter. Brian really, during lockdown, got into producing and his big thing that he loves doing is putting teams together. So just kind of networking in Nashville, kind of meeting a bunch of people. And I think he was the one who was like, we can do this. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Please let me actually produce vocals and make you guys do takes and like, let's work on that part. Because funny, like most albums we do, the producers are like, oh, you guys are like such a vocal band. You got that. And we'll do it. It's almost always an afterthought. 
doing all the vocals, which has always been a little bit frustrating for me because it's something that you can really dive so deep into. And because I know what the guys can do because I sing with them every night. I have sung with them every night for over a decade. So that was like the most fun part for me is getting to plumb the depths of vocal end. So you said it was fun. Like you think that you want to do a thing, but then like, how is it an actual practice? So what was it like (sighs) getting into that with your bandmates that you've been together for a decade? Suddenly you're in this role. Yeah. That's new. It was by and large a great experience. I think I definitely hit a few walls with them that I was expecting to hit. And so it didn't really deflate me. And I think my skin is just so much thicker and I'm so less easily offended or emotionally damaged by what they do, I guess, because I know their intentions now, you know, when you're starting out in a relationship with people, the way they say things or what they say, you're like, that's so hurtful and insensitive. And now that I know them both, I'm like, okay, the way you're saying this and what you're saying is divergent from what your actual intention, what your actual heart is. So it's easy for me to kind of brush it off. And I think I just have a lot more confidence in my abilities and all that. So it makes you a lot less easy to set off and makes you more tenacious, at least for me. But it was fun. I think any creative act, especially making an album, It can feel like such a Herculean feat and it feels like you have to put out so much energy just to organize the people involved. And I think especially having a trio, it's like we all have to be on board and it can sometimes just be so difficult to get anything done. But I always feel so proud of us when it's actually happening that I don't really mind if it's difficult or if it's bumpy or if we fight or whatever, because it's just like we're doing it. This war of art with all this contested space, we're making it happen and we're still making it happen because the easiest thing is to just stop and to do nothing. And the hard thing is to take it seriously, take your art seriously, take yourselves not too seriously, but seriously enough to like get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to pick a song from the new album to start with today? Uh, I mean, start with Honey. It was written by Zach, right? Brian and I helped finish it. That was a song. Oh gosh. It was like, I remember my son was a baby and we were on the bus at the end of a tour and we were writing in the lounge and Zach kind of brought that out. And it was real like kind of old school strummy G chord type and it had a totally different chorus and it the vibe was not there yet. But the idea was always something that we were like, oh, that's like a fun bit more of a pop writing approach, a bit more universal than Zach usually leans or can lean. So I think Brian and I were both interested in that idea and we kind of batted it around for a while. And it really that song... I love because it's such a testament to studio magic because we had it and we had been working on all these songs together. We were getting together a couple times a week all during lockdown. We were all in each other's bubble and Brian, Zach and I would just get together in this big church. That was empty because no one was meeting and we worked on that song a lot, but it was still kind of like folky, a little bit strummy. And then when we got into the studio, I think once that key part and just like the bass rhythm hit that song just took on a totally different life and vibe and I think everyone was kind of astounded and it's one of those things you don't know is going to happen until you start tracking and I'm proud of it I'm proud of the way we were able to capture the vocals and the dynamics and all that is a really fun ride for me what does that look like when you're producing vocals what kinds of Mm. feedback or direction are you giving and is there anything specific to this song that we could learn about before going into it so I always say singing live and singing in the studio are two 
almost completely different skill sets because the microphone and the way that you work a microphone when you're live as opposed to when you're recording is so different. And the room for nuance is almost limitless when you're recording for the studio. You can sing so quietly and because of compression and because of all these tools we have, the amount of things that you can capture, the amount of emotion you can capture that would just be lost if you have a big band behind you and you're singing live. So I think a lot of it is about being a very positive coach because most singers and the voice are very temperamental. You know, and so if you start feeling like, ugh, I can't hit it or ugh, it's just like not a great day or this is not working, you can hear their vocal cords literally tense up. So I think a lot of it is like trying to figure out what you want. And luckily for me with Zach and Brian, I, I know their voices so well, I know what I want from it. So it's like being like, yes, that was great. Do that again, maybe with a little bit of this. And I think for us, the real challenge and the real success for Honey is the quiet singing and the delicate singing. And that's my bread and butter. I love that stuff, even though I, I do belt and I'm so freaking loud. The quiet, breath control, low, kind of gritty stuff is really what makes me happy to hear. And I think we really achieve that. Walking out in the That's Honey, the new album by the Lone Bellows called Love Songs for Losers. We have Kaneen Pipkin here with us on Shiro's Radio. So one thing I really get excited about, not only just somebody that I've known for a long time and known always in the context of the band and only mm. spoken with as that, is this opportunity to be like, okay, it's just us now. <laughs> yeah. just as gals. Uh, it's just us gals and find out what has it been like being the only woman <laughs> in this trio of dudes all this time that's a question oh man it's something that i get asked all the time it's odd i used to just notice there was this phenomenon of a lot of bands were all dudes and one girl i don't know it's hard sometimes i would get into this mindset of are we just a necessary decorative element or something and people would always come up to me and be like oh you're gonna like bury that other girl like she whatever and i'm like i don't want to bury her i want to be her friend and maybe like cry with her because <laughs> it's like so lonely out here sometimes but it's funny how i feel like people want to put you into this competitive role. It's almost like people are saying there's only so many spots for women in this industry. And so you need to be the best or you need to be like in some way better than the other girl in that other band. And I think I was very sensitive to that when we first started and it was kind of debilitating. And now I just know that it's nonsense. And so I don't pay attention to that at all and really do try to cultivate relationships with other female artists and other females that are in bands. But uh, God, I mean, I could probably ramble on for Go for forever. it. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> I mean, I had a baby yeah. on the road. <laughs> I was pregnant on the road. I've had my husband and family out. And now this last tour was the first full band one I've done without my husband on the road. He stayed home with our son. Every part of the journey has been different. 
Could you say that things have, in a broader sense, changed Mm. at all? You've said in passing, like, it's lonely out here, which Mm -hmm. I definitely have heard many times. And I've also heard the scarcity thing of women Mm -hmm. needing to be pitted against each other or people feeling like they needed to pit women against each other. Or even internally, we feel like we're in competition even when we don't want to be. What are you seeing in the landscape of the music industry? I mean, I will tell you, I think that attitude is going extinct and I couldn't be happier about it because I feel like especially the younger generation, there are just so many more female or non-binary artists and it's just kind of something that's around. And I think with the accessibility of music producing tools and all that stuff, I think everybody feels a lot more empowered and capable. I know so many more like young female producers now than when I was starting. So that feels amazing. And I think a real testament to that is we got to tour with Marin Morris for a couple of months this year. And that tour was honestly pretty life-changing for me in that half her band and crew are all women. And the environment it created was so wonderful and everything was done at such an incredible level of efficiency and professionalism, but there was still this warmth and fun. And I was so endlessly inspired by it. It was like the first time I've ever been part of a big tour where I was just like, oh, I'm just like one of many women. I'm not just like that odd person out who people kind of feel like they need to change when I'm around or whatever. The work environment was really nice. (laughs) She's amazing. She's been on the show and we've talked about that and she really Mm. has done that intentionally. And that's kind of what's necessary, I think, Mm -hmm. until it is normalized. You know, I know that we are on our way there, but it is still not totally normal. All of the things that make people have biases against us, that makes us be the odd girl out, odd man out, whatever, in those environments, until those biases and those barriers evaporate, we still have to intentionally take up that space and give that space to other people. It's nuts. I mean, I've had so many people, you know, offhandedly just be like, oh, man, I wish I could do what you do. Like, I can't believe your husband lets you do that, lets you be on stage in front of other people, like lets people like watch you perform. And I just want to be like draconian. (laughs) But little comments like that happen all the time. And I think it still is such a contested space for women. I had girl I was taking a yoga class with at the Y talking about ageism and sexism and all that stuff. And I was like, I mean, a lot of it is just a lot of women, if they want to have kids and they want to have a family, they really feel like they cannot do that and tour. Like you cannot make both happen. And I will say it is very difficult if you're not at a superstar level where you have a staff who's kind of helping you, if you are still kind of a DIY scrappy band, it is hard, but you can do it. I did it, you know, and so I know it can be done, but it's definitely not easy. But none of road life is easy for men or women, I think. So I don't think it's an insurmountable obstacle. It's not. But I always wonder if we were centering women in this business. Mm hmm what a different job it would be. Can you imagine what green rooms would be like if, <laughs> if, if like this was all custom designed for us? You know, it's like, yeah. well, we got to make sure that there's tampons. There's, there's tampons like, in the bus. Like if we get a bus and the driver has like put some in the medicine cabinet or whatever in the bathroom, yeah. the amount of just like safety and visibility I feel is kind of incredible. Small gestures, you know. 
Yeah. And just like making touring life, musician mm-hmm. life available for women who choose to have kids. How about taking that barrier away? I'm so curious about that. And it's come up so many times in these yeah. conversations, of course, yeah. you know, like poor Santi Gold. She was like, I yeah. can't, I don't have that money. I can't set up a tour bus, take a nanny with me or whatever. Yeah. You know? I was lucky my sister came out and roughed the bus life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was hard on her, but yeah, it's definitely hard. It is very hard. And, you know, I toured, I was probably 38 weeks pregnant when we played our last show. I remember we were at New Orleans Jazz Fest. It was like a makeup show because it had gotten rained out the year before. And I was like 38 weeks pregnant, finished our set, and I was standing in a field watching Snoop Dogg. And he had these like giant inflatable penis costumes that people were running around in and like... Everyone was singing like, so well, we get drunk, so well, we smoke, we are whatever that song is. And I was like, I don't know if I really want to be here right now. <laughs> Just standing with my enormous belly. <laughs> Wildly out of place. But I mean, the show was fire. But Yeah. Let's go to another song on the album. We're here just yeah. hearing your voice. I love those opportunities on your records oh, cool. to just Thanks. hear you. I mean, I love the boys, of course. But, of course. And your harmonies are incredible. But it's beautiful to just hear you. Oh, thank you. Do you want to talk to us about cost of living? Sure. Oh, man. I'm pretty artful about dodging what the song is actually about because I feel like, uh, oh, man. I, I do feel like as a woman and maybe as the kind of person I am, I just I tend to like self-edit a lot. And this song I wrote over COVID, I had a really close friend uh, commit suicide while I was on tour. And when I turned 30... We had a break in touring and it was actually the day of his funeral. So on my 30th birthday, I like went to his funeral. And the last time I had seen him was at a show in Chicago where he was living. And I just remember he was in the crowd and there was like one stage light that was just like hitting him. So I could see him the whole show. And things he said to me that night and stuff afterward, I was like, I should have seen this coming. And I think that song is a song about grief. And it's a song about thinking you're pretty intuitive. And then being blindsided when something happens. It's like, I think the first line, how could you rob me blind when I thought I was a navigator? I thought I could read the signs. So it's, yeah, just kind of a song about that feeling of something being taken from you and and what do I do now? And also just kind of feeling like, God, I should have, I should have known. I should have seen it coming. So luckily the song sounds a lot more uplifting than that. Listen, grief and death is a part of life. Is like I know, man. Letting go. Yeah, and it's that famous saying: if you can't say it, sing it. How could you? Your love was a luxury it took from me. 
I wanted to talk to you a little bit, this provides a great segue for this too, sure. about songwriting. And you mm. said something earlier that caught my ear when you said, you know, as a woman that you have a tendency to self-edit and then you just followed it up by saying, if you can't <laughs> say it, sing it. Yeah. You know, in this band, how much of you and your story and your emotions make it into the lyrics, make it into mm. the songs? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of co-writing and a lot more collaboration. And I think there is a lot of respect among the three of us about like, even if somebody writes a song that's completely, they've written it, like Cost of Living, I wrote to a track that a guy, Phil Barnes, sent me. And I wrote the whole thing, but it just resonated with the guys. It felt true. They were just like, it's it's great. Like, it's perfect. We don't need to change anything. Mm. And every song we bring, we kind of bring to the group. And if it's in a state of completion already, you know, we'll kind of go through it and be like, yeah, that feels true. Or then sometimes we'll each kind of contribute and make it to where it feels like something that resonates for each of us. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated, but I do feel like the best songs do rise to the top because there is such an intense gauntlet that mm -hmm. it goes through. But it's a pretty loving process. I do think, you know, each album is different. I think this is our fifth full-length studio album. Oh my God. So Ooh. I think this one has definitely a lot of me in it and a lot of my thoughts. The last album, Half Moonlight, had a, a super personal song that I've written about my mom. So even if it's not, you know, a song that I'm leading or like specifically have written, I think we have a cool thing going with our band to where everybody needs to kind of sign off and vibe with the material and all that. And that's how we do it. And I think it's how we've been able to be such close friends and bandmates for such a long time. Do you find that that's enough for you as far as an outlet for things that you might be going through that mm. nobody's fault, it, but you're the woman? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think it kind of has been in the past just because I've been so maxed out. The first few years of the band were just like kind of exciting. I had just moved to New York from Beijing and moved to New York to go to pastry school, which I did. But we started the band right when I started school. So the first few years are all like such a blur and it was all just kind of like holding on to a train that was like taking off and you're just like, ah, you know, flying off the back. And then kind of once that settled down a little bit is when I was pregnant and then I toured with my son until last year, he was like four and a half. And so honestly, I was just like hanging by a thread <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh man. I remember... It was like the night before leaving for tour, I was like packing all his baby stuff and I got really sick. I got like strep throat or something. I had like a crazy high fever. So I had to like haul myself to urgent care, got a steroid shot and just, you know, next day did the thing. And I was like, man, the things we do for the show to go on is like absolutely mind boggling. But and as women, the things that we go through physically and still oh, yeah. do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Dude, I mean, I'm sure you've heard many tales of just like when you're nursing and I just remember like having to pick outfits that would like make me feel good and make me feel stage ready. But then also I could nurse in and also like if I got like milk all over myself, that wouldn't be too much of a problem. It's like a very uh, intense list of demands. But I think recently coming out of those f first few, you know, the diaper years coming out of it, I'm just like, oh, I do have a lot more that I want to say and I, I do want to develop 
more solo material. Definitely something that I'm starting to focus on and find the time for. It's just kind of crazy if you don't prioritize that, especially in the road life and everything. It's just you're gone. Like your time just evaporates. And I could just be at home, you know, putzing around doing home stuff. And then it's like, oh, oh, back out on the road. I'm trying to set the intention for sure. So because I'm a DJ, I can't pass up a good segue. When you were talking about getting dressed to go out on stage and finding something that you felt comfortable in post giving birth. Oh, man, this part of the conversation about how we present and (laughs) and sexuality and music and being women and having feeling like we I'm going to put in air quotes, having to look a certain way or be sexy Mm -hmm. or our internal stuff about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Carmel, what are you trying to do to me? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with purity culture or that term. I don't know if you were raised in kind of like the modern evangelical movement. Jewish. Yeah. You're so lucky. But. But you were. Yes. Yeah. Raised in the South in a definite culture that idealizes the idea of women as pure, spotless, unsexual beings, I guess, until you get married. And then that all of that is just like reserved for your spouse. But you spend a lot of your energy growing up not being a what was described as a stumbling block to your brethren, you know, so you don't want to like cause people to feel things they shouldn't feel or whatever. So you end up obsessing and assessing the way you act, the way you talk, the way you dress, obviously. But all of that, you're like, am I like a Jezebel? That's just going to like ruin, you know, everything. Even though my parents weren't so much like that, I was just a perceptive child. And these are the lessons that were absorbed through the school I went to or the church or whatever, the culture around me, which was largely kind of that Southern evangelical. This Um, is in Virginia, right? In Virginia, yes. Yeah. So... I had done some theater and I had done a lot of singing groups and people would always say things about me that made me very uncomfortable that were meant to be like compliments like, you know, like, oh, like your voice is so sultry or your voice is so sexy or your eyes are so sexy or like your face or whatever. And it would make me feel so guilty and it would make me feel just evil. It it was a very complicated feeling. So I think even now, you know, I'll, I'll talk with like my brothers or you know, men I feel comfortable with and and just kind of be like, you know, if I do a solo project, it's hard to know how I would want to even brand it or the things I would want to sing about or the way that I sing because I have always been taught to be on hyper vigilant alert of what you're doing, how it's making other people feel. And I think just now as I'm starting to get older and more mature, I'm just like, you know what? I can't control how other people feel. I can only try to figure out how I feel and talk about that because I've just realized like trying to control the responses of people around you is crazy and it will make you crazy and it will make you edit yourself into oblivion. So it's still a lesson that I'm learning. And I think actually this past tour, I think I, in terms of like what I was wearing and stuff, I definitely have felt like the most empowered I've ever felt to just wear what I like and what makes me feel powerful because I'm sure most women talk about when you're stepping in 
to the stage, it's like this character, this kind of like superhuman character of someone who is okay with all of these people looking at them and assessing them and saying things. There's like this weird kind of dehumanization that happens when you're in front of people. And we all do it to celebrities. You know, you watch a TV show and you're like, oh, she yada yada or like just talking about people's appearances, things you would never say to your friends. So I know that that happens, but you know, you have to choose to not think about that and instead choose like, how do I feel tonight? How do I want to present myself? And, you know, how am I feeling? I also got really into powerlifting over COVID. My little brother, who is just the most wonderful being, he was like, I think you would really enjoy this. And we had this gym, Praxis Strength in Nashville. I'm going to give them a shout out because it's a wonderful woman owned gym that really focuses on strength training. And I had never done that before. The purpose of fitness was always like to be smaller or like to be thinner. And it was the first time I'd ever had this experience of nobody was really concentrating on that. It was all about goal setting and getting stronger. And it was like, what can you do that you couldn't do before? And that was a huge path into just this empowerment for me. So I started lifting a lot and I still do a lot of like strength training on the road and stuff. But I have in certain lights, I guess, very pronounced arm muscles and people like have to comment on it. I had a lady yell at me like, you're the female Hercules during one set. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I guess you're talking about like the size of my arm muscles. Or, you know, if you post a picture of yourself and you have any sort of musculature, people will just be like, ah, and it makes me realize it's just something that at least is uncommon enough or noteworthy enough that people feel like they need to say something about it. So how does that affect you, though? You know, there's definitely been times when I'm like, maybe maybe I need to like cut down on arm day. But usually I'm just like, <laughs> whatever. I like being strong. <laughs> I like being able to lift my like 80 pound base head by myself. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's a great feeling. and. You know, I'm not aiming for a certain aesthetic, but it's great to be strong. It feels good to focus on that. And you could take that in more ways than one. I mean, it's amazing (laughs) how there's always like some parallels, ways that we can work on our physical Mm -hmm. bodies that can also apply to the emotional side, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay to be strong, to have goals, to take up some Space. space. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's fun, the process of unlearning all of those things, you know, don't speak until spoken to and try to be like mysterious and coy or whatever, instead of being honest and comfortable with being a person in the room who is on equal footing with all the other people in the room. It's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that that's where you're at. And I do think that some of it comes with age. Ageism is another thing that we talk about on this show, but Before we go there, (laughs) take us to another song, please. Sure. I think I want to play I'm in Love. I really love this song. You can usually tell if I was involved in the composition of a song because there will be either kind of an abrupt key change or a tempo change. I'm kind of a sucker for that. So the song has that and I love it. It's just kind of unhinged. I'm in love, I'm in love. Kameen Pipkin is here with us of The Lone Bellow. The new album is called Love Songs for Losers. I'm Carmel Holt. We're having the best time 
unpacking we all are. of these things. <laughs> Do we have a few more hours to go? <laughs> we need several hours. <laughs> we go too far back. Yeah, I know. To... It's true. Well, listen, this is great, you know. And I was thinking about when you were talking about, you know, the whole working out thing and mm. people making comments on your physical appearance. I often ask this question at the end of my time with women, like, here's mm. the Shiro's magic wand. You could change mm. anything for us, for women, mm -hmm. gender expansive folks in music. Mm. What would that be? One of the things that I would change is that thing. And not because it's like a vanity thing, but I feel like I'm learning more and more as I age the differences between men and women and how we navigate that and all of the internal bullshit that's been planted yeah. in here about that. And gosh, I just would love to erase that for us mm -hmm. because I feel like it gets so in the way, you know, of yeah. just being able to like continue to make your art. I talked to Bonnie Raitt. She was so beautifully open about mm -hmm. her struggles as a 73-year-old woman. <sighs> like you're Bonnie Raitt. You know, your body rate. <laughs> your body you. rate. <laughs> and I just want more body rates. You yeah, know, please, God. Yeah, I think I guess my magic wand would just to be able to tell everybody like you're enough. Just what you are is enough. I've heard so many women be like, I'm not like skinny enough to be in a band or I'm not pretty enough to be in a band or I'm not whatever. And I'm just like those things about. Uh, band person does not make you know like do you like music do you play an instrument like those are the things you know and it makes me sad the restrictions people will put on themselves that feel so real because you really haven't seen things modeled and I think that's, you know, obviously representation matters so much not just for women but for you know anybody who's outside totally. the norm you know, I still remember seeing Darcy play with the Smashing Pumpkins. And I was just like, oh, there are like female musicians that can just be in the band. They don't have to be like the singer. They're there and contributing and part of the vibe. And it's so rad. And that was kind of what I wanted to be. I mean, I always love singing and all that. But I was always so intrigued by like, because it was so underrepresented, just like female members of the band. We just saw Always play. We did a show at the 930 Club. 930 Club does these like double show nights now. We were the early night band this year and Always was the second band. So I got to stay and watch. And God, that was so inspiring. It's so rad and just is. I felt so comfortable and free in that room. And just I think everybody did. And there's just something really powerful about their lineup and that setup. Yeah, I was like, this is what I needed to see. <laughs> Totally. Sure. Yeah. Also, can I get a bonus magic wand? Can we have yes. a day where instruments aren't gendered? Like, it's, oh my God. like, it's like know, super, right? right? It's so cultural. Like, if you go around the world, like I remember I've been to India a few times, used to live in China. No matter what, things are gendered, you know, that's like buried deeply in history. But you realize how arbitrary it is because in some cultures it's like, oh, these stringed instruments are made for delicate lady fingers, you know. So like women will play guitar, women will play drums because they're perceived in that culture to be more rhythmic or whatever. So you realize these are all culturally created stigmas or, you know, parameters we put around instruments. And it's just kind of ridiculous. Like it, 
it's not based on anything except a perception. So women can and should and do play every instrument. And I remember the first chair flutist in my middle school, he was a Romanian guy. And I remember people made fun of him for playing flute because at our middle school, that was like a girly instrument. And I was like, why is this a girly instrument? Have you ever gotten (laughs) any kind of bullshit thrown at you for the instruments that you play? Well, you know, it's usually couched in a positive light, but it's like I've been playing a lot more bass now live in the band, which I really love. And that was like one of the first instruments I really started playing. And people will just comment on it because it's unusual, you know. They're like, oh, my God, a female bass player. I think it does put some pressure on. Like, you know, if someone else playing bass makes a mistake, I'm like, oh, that happens. But if I do it, I'm going to be like, they're going to think women can't play bass. (laughs) It's like the whole of femaledom rests on my shoulders. But uh, I don't know. It is something people like to comment on. But then I, I like to kind of punctuate it. Like, I love to wear a gown and play bass. You remember like Les Paul and Mary Ford? Have you ever seen any of those old videos? So like Les Paul, inventor of the electric guitar, yeah, and all these pedals and effects and stuff. He and his wife, Mary Ford, would play together and she would be in these like kind of 50s house dresses or like fancy whatever dresses and just like kind of rock an electric guitar. And I always thought that was so rad when I was a kid. That was like one of the very first YouTube holes I ever fell down was just watching her play. Mary Ford is someone who always inspired me. I was like, she ripped guitar, but people don't really talk about her that much. I was like, oh, I don't know why instruments become gendered. That seems so stupid. (laughs) Kaneen, this has been so fun. I really appreciate you. Anything that you wanted to talk about today that we didn't get to? I mean, I would love to talk about you, but I know you're the one interviewing. But uh, (laughs) What do you want to know? I'm an open book. (laughs) I mean, I guess all of these could be turned back and asking you like how it's been as a female DJ and if the things that you interview musicians about also hold true in your world. And I mean, I've been to those radio conferences, you know, and they can be (laughs) brutal, (laughs) brutal. So, you know, I'm not going to make this about me, but very briefly, I will say that, yes, the things that I ask usually comes from a place of not just empathy or anecdotally understanding, but personal experience. Radio still has the music business. (laughs) It's come so far, but it still has so far to go kind of thing. Yeah. And in this little corner, as far as like the interviewers, the hosts, the journalists, Mm -hmm. part of my mission wanting this project to be successful is in equal parts about holding space for the people that I talk to and the artists that I play, the bands that I play on the show. But it's also like, I want to see more women being the voices of authority Mm. on music. Mm -hmm. I want to see bookshelves filled with more female voices and gender expansive folks. More documentaries where, you know, it isn't like always going to be the dudes that are telling the story, even if it's a story that isn't theirs. I think that if we're looking at this thing holistically, as far as sexism and misogyny in music, that that's part of it is like inviting more diversity in terms of who is leading these conversations and the the empathy that they're able to bring to them based on experience. Yeah, and you're doing it. You're creating this platform. And, you know, I think about like 
meeting you and meeting Rita and people like Ann Powers and, and other yeah. people who before I was doing this professionally didn't know were out there. And you, you meet these incredibly intelligent and powerful women. And I do think for me, it's like stepping stones, you know, it's like we're, we're getting mm -hmm. somewhere and it's all very encouraging. Yeah. I think you're such an encouraging presence and mm. just so happy every time we get to talk. It's always really nice. Oh, thank you. We should definitely do this again. Yes. Let's do it again. Many thanks once again to Kaneen Pipkin of The Lone Bellow for being with us. The new album, Love Songs for Losers, is available now on Dual Tone Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find Find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.